Welcome back to Bike Race Weekly. I'm your host, Ryan Gerard, as always with my co-host, Rick Runewald. And we're also here with two guests, Eric Hill and Frank Cundiff from the Project Echelon team. Uh, Frank and Eric, welcome. Yeah, thank you guys for having us. Yeah, uh, we're Absolutely. really excited about this. Uh, we have been talking about your guys' race series of, of, for a few podcasts now. So it's really cool that we can have you guys on. Yeah, no, and it's been fun to listen and to see uh, your evolution of understanding and excitement and participation in it all as well. So really excited to, to hear your perspectives on things too. And, um, and then, you know, from here, from the podcast, uh, hopefully get some more people to join us and, and hear from the community as well on how we can continue to improve and enhance what we're doing. Sure. So uh, let's start from the beginning, Project Echelon. Uh, do you guys want to just kind of talk and explain about what the evolution of that team and organization has been? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Merrick Hill, I am the co-founder of Project Echelon, uh, founded in 2015 with a veteran friend by the name of Eric Beach. Um, in 2015, I was racing for a, uh, a relatively large regional team that was starting to get opportunities to race uh, in PRT events across the country. And um, I was looking for opportunities to expand um, my racing calendar and either get on, uh, you know, a major regional or national team, um, or start a program of my, of my own. And so at that same time, uh, Eric Beach had reached out, um, had been struggling with suicide and addiction and, uh, basically asked the question of, Hey, I know I need help. I think the help I need is physical activity. I need the regimen. I need the routine. I need the support. I have no idea where to start. I know I want to do a triathlon. Um, I don't have a bike. I haven't ran in years. And um, swimming isn't something that I have as a part of my resume. Um, and it's just like, okay, like, you know, we're starting at ground zero. Um, but luckily, because of where I was in my cycling career and, and the industry, um, having worked at a bike shop and all of these things, I had partnerships that were of benefit to Eric and to helping him achieve those goals. Uh, six months later, after supporting him with the training plan, getting him on a bike through uh, Specialized, who was our, um, our bike sponsor at the time, getting him some other equipment, uh, Eric completed his first triathlon. And he'll tell you to this day that that changed his mindset, his goals, his focus, um, and ultimately saved his life. Um, it gave him an outlet that was a constructive tool um, and a positive release of the negative feelings and anxiety that he was facing every day. Um, and we decided together that more veterans needed to have that opportunity. So we decided to start Project Echelon together. Um, Project Echelon is a veterans nonprofit organization, 501c3, with a mission to educate, equip, and empower veterans. Um, and it is also a um, elite professional cycling team that races the Pro Road Tour, um, has been a top five ranked team in the country for the past three years. Uh, we'll be expanding to a European calendar here in 2021 as well. Um, and so we've seen a ton of growth from year one where we supported 12 veterans. Um, and we were just, a, uh, you know, we were at the bottom of the list when it came to elite bike racing. And uh, now in 2020, we've supported over 200 veterans and um, 
think our team would be considered to be one of the most competitive teams in the country now. And so it's just been wonderful uh, to see to see that growth. And in 2020, because of the circumstances with COVID and the inability to share our mission as we raced across the country like we normally would, um, we had to pivot a little bit. And part of that pivot was virtual racing. That's where I met Frank. And Frank, I'll let you kind of tell the rest of the story from there. All right. Thanks, Eric. Uh, yeah, I'm Frank Cundiff. Uh, I'm the operations director for Echelon Racing League. Um, and I also race with Project Echelon Racing. Um, I've been racing at the elite level. And uh, more or less, I race criteriums. Um, I've been on a couple different D1 teams within the USA Crits series um, over the past five or six years. Uh, traveled you know, nationally to race big pro crits. Um, and as COVID hit, there was no racing this year. Uh, I started uh, my girlfriend at the time, well, currently, uh, got into bike racing. Um, super talented, just naturally gifted. Because there was no, we did a couple real-life bike races in February, and then COVID hit. And um, there, we started, I raced on Zwift and rode on Zwift and trained on Zwift. And uh, she wanted to race, but there weren't a lot of women's races. And so I ran a, I helped run a women's and men's D1 pro team. And I was like, I was using my um, connections to try to see what I could do about getting some more e-races on there um, for women. And so I, at the same time, Eric was running, starting off his spring series uh, through the Project Echelon uh, team and, and his effort with Zwift. Uh, I made the connection with him and said, you should do a women's race as, you know, to, to go with your men's race. And he was like, I'm only one person. And I said, well, I'm a person also, I can help. And so, you know, I've, I've run real life races, I've run real life teams. And through uh, working with him, we were able to do our spring series with some men's and women's races. Um, and that kind of evolved into him and I working really well together. Um, a little more background, I was prior Navy, I did eight years active duty, um, got out at the end of my contract, um, and went to school, got a mechanical engineering degree. And then, uh, I now work for the Navy as a, a civilian, um, doing project management. And so it, as I learned more about project echelon and what Eric and the team were doing, it really rung true with me. Um, I didn't start bike racing until I got out the Navy. My last year in the Navy is when I started riding bikes. I was a 200 pound pack a day smoker. And, you know, I, it was really, I, I was very, um, it was very convenient for me and that I just kind of fell into it and naturally kind of had some connections and had some friends who helped me along the way and helped me um, transition from active duty to civilian life and bike racing just kind of naturally fell into that. And I don't think a lot of people who are transitioning and, and, experiencing PTSD and, and just the struggles of going from uh, active duty to civilian life are, they don't get that luck. And so I think that's where Project Echelon really assists and really does a great job in, in helping veterans. And so his, you know, the, the mission of the team really rung true and him and I worked together and, um, and, and decided, you know, I like bike racing. I'm a veteran and, 
they're a veterans company and they race bikes. And so it worked out really well. Um, and what we realized was there, there was a gap in the calendar, right. With, with professional race teams and even elite race teams and, and community and clubs. And there's a gap in the road calendar, right. Between September, end of September and February road teams and clubs kind of disappear off the map. You, you get the, the one-off social media post of I'm doing base miles. Here's my new kit. And I'm eating this stuff while riding my bike. Right. <laughs> and, yep. and, uh, and so there's a hold, you know, the, you, you really lose a lot of reach with your, with your fans, with your community, with, um, the, the racing, uh, through the winter. And so Eric and I talked about it and we we're like, well, you know, we really started this off with COVID in mind because there was no real life season, but, we really have uh, an opportunity here to extend the reach of these teams and, and really do pro racing the right way. Um, and that we can build a franchise style effort and we can build a community around what we're doing and we can extend that reach of these teams and these riders and showcase these races and, and give everyone an opportunity to continuing to get some exposure through the winter. And so that's where the Echelon Racing League um, kind of grew out of. Yeah, very cool. Um, and I think, I mean, with Project Echelon as a whole, uh, I mean, we as Wisconsin, you know, bike racers, we've definitely kind of noticed the growth over the last couple of years. And it's been really cool to see. I think something that, you know, as an industry, everybody's talked about is, you know, how do we make uh, sponsorship of, of, you know, professional cycling teams more sustainable mm -hmm. and have a better foundation. And it's cool to see Project Echelon come along and kind of, I, I think, be, you know, huge uh, game changers in, in that space. And like, you know, with their outreach work to veterans and, you know, how much work you guys do there as the foundation of the team, literally, and then being able to grow on top of that, uh, along with some, you know, uh, great sponsors that you guys have a uh, super high level cycling team. Um, so that's just been, you know, really cool and something that's been awesome to see grow over the year. And uh, Frank, I think you said it really well too. It's like with, with e-racing and how, you know, like in the past, it's always been, you know, the road calendar, especially like in the Midwest, you know, we're kind of done racing road early August if it's a, if it's a good year. And, you know, not everybody races like cyclocross or, uh, you know, uh, fat bikes or, you know, there's, there's that huge gap. And, uh, you know, I think that's where obviously COVID has been a big game changer with, you know, no racing at all, but that huge gap between, you know, the end of August and the beginning of April has been, uh, really cool to see filled with uh series like, uh, the echelon race league. Yeah. And, you know, I think, uh, COVID magnified, um, a lot of issues that we, that we have, you know, with, with, professional cycling in the United States, you know, just the, the sustainability, visibility and scalability of, um, of our professional race series of, of the PRT. Um, a lot of those races are run by passionate individuals. They're not, they're not money makers, um, for, for those race promoters. Um, and so they need our support. Um, they need the visibility as well, especially in a year like this one. Um, it's hard to get permits and put on races and close down roads and get support from your community and giving them the opportunity to showcase uh, their city, um, showcase the economy, 
um, and the wonderful things that they have to offer for tourism uh, through a virtual setting is, is something quite special. If you tuned into our virtual tour of the Gila last week, and I'm sure we'll get deeper into this as the show goes on, um, but we had, we had the Lieutenant Governor of the state of New Mexico, the mayor of Silver City, one of the state's senators, um, and three different professors from a local university join the broadcast and talk about the region and talk about the importance and value of the race for um, the Silver City and Gila region. And we were able to use our broadcast to expose um, 16 different countries to that race to that event and to that region and what it has to offer for bike enthusiasts. And that's something really special that doesn't exist today for, for our, for our races in North America. Yeah. And I think Gila is a great example of that too, because if I'm not mistaken, you know, a race like Gila has kind of been on, on the teeter of getting uh, canceled the last couple of years, just with, you know, whether it's title sponsors pulling out, increase overhead costs, you know, it's been really hard for them to put on a race like that. And I mean, that's a great point, like to have this virtual series, to have uh, people experience kind of what that course is, what it's like, you know, putting more eyeballs on the race itself. I think in 20, I wouldn't doubt that in 2021, uh, Heal is a great example, but I'm sure a lot of these other races, you know, will see people show an interest in, uh, making some uh, big trips and coming out and, and hopefully bigger field sizes as well. Well, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'll say, this is Frank, uh, that, you know, ideally, right? Like right now, the way the pro bike racing structure is um, for race, for races and race teams, you know, it's for a lack of a better way to put it. It's a rich person who's in a position of authority being able to say, I like bike racing. I'm going to help this team out, or I'm going to help this race out. And, and being able to, to, you know, put some sponsorship into that, that team, put some money in or some funding into that direction. And, you know, that's, that's not a sustainable model for, for anything. And so, you know, I think where we're trying to, assist going in the right direction with the echelon racing league you know is ideally long term we would like to set up the series on the on the pro side you know where it's a a franchise style effort where if we are bringing in income through advertisements through um you know wherever the income comes from uh you know we're able to share that with all the partners involved you know the echelon racing league wouldn't be successful without the real life races and race directors allowing us to use their courses to showcase. And we wouldn't be successful if the pro teams and the elite teams didn't commit and participate in our series. You know, it takes all the parties really committing to it and, and contributing for it to be successful. And, and that success should be shared equally across all parties. So uh, just going off of that, how did you guys approach all these pro teams and, is there like pro teams that you did uh, reach out to and then they said no, or did every yeah. single pro team you guys reach out to accept it? No, I, I can't not. see, I can't see why like a pro team would say no, I guess mm-hmm. just maybe because they didn't want to be part of the race series or something, but without any racing this year, you think that any pro team would want to jump on an opportunity like this? Yeah. yeah some no, kind of we, 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 um, so I guess I, 
as a director of a team, you know, we, we're all connected. Um, there's the National Association of Professional Race Directors. Um, and so that's how we were able to get in contact with all of these um, race-promoting organizations. Like, clearly, I have relationships with them. As a team director, we get invited to these races. We go to managers' meetings, so on and so forth. We know each other. Um, but being able to go to that NAPRD and speak to um, them you know, on a professional level about what this effort is, how we believe it's going to be supportive of them and, uh, and their personal goals for their races is really powerful. Similarly, on the team side, um, there's a team's organization. It's not well, it's not as well structured and they don't meet as frequently as the National Association for Race Directors does. Um, but it does exist. And um, we see these teams, you know, weekend in and weekend out um, throughout the regular season. So for me, it was, it was just building on those relationships. Um, I've, I've always been one to not build bridges, but, uh, or burn bridges, but to build them. And so this was just not another opportunity to build another bridge. Um, you know, this spring we did have the likes of, um, of team 2020 or not 2024 on the women's side or, uh, elevate KHS on the men's side, joining us on the Zwift races. We invited them to join us, um, in the echelon racing league and they they declined um part of it was because uh uh them wanting to give their athletes a proper block of time off um not knowing what the season was going to hold and when we were going to start up again uh just some of the uncertainties there some of it was with uh, transitions and sponsors um and not knowing whether or not they would approve and support of um, an effort like this since it's pretty new and they didn't know what the what the product was going to be, what the outcomes were, were going to be. Um, they wanted to probably see something tangible first to decide. And now we're starting to see teams that declined initially wanting to come back and be a part of it um, as wildcard teams. So this coming weekend at Armed Forces and Bucks County Classic, we have uh, Tipco Sil Silicon Valley joining us um, on the women's side. We're really excited about that. Um, I've been talking with Chris Creed uh, from Gateway Harley Davidson, who initially declined because of transition in athletes um, from their roster. And uh, we have Gateway Cup that we're going to be doing um, after Bucks County Classic and Armed Forces, and they want to be involved in that. So we're definitely gaining interest as we as we pick up momentum. Um, and everybody had their own personal reasons to to decline. And uh, we were respectful of that. We think that we're putting together a product that is going to um, entice them and want want them to get involved in the, in the future. But their, you know, their uh, decline resulted in teams that might otherwise not um, have had the opportunity uh, to get an opportunity and to come and showcase themselves and to compete against some, some of the best riders in the country. And um, you know, that's. It's kind of one one man's trash is another man's treasure, and uh, that I mean that's how you advance yourself in this sport is take advantage of every opportunity that is uh, permitted to you. And, and so the teams, there's a lot of teams that are doing that. And and I would even add, right, like the way I'll say as the operations director, and Eric and I have discussed this too, extensively with our partners and and with racers and and with the race directors, you know the reality of it and the way I approach e-racing and virtual racing um, is it is loosely based on road racing, right? But at the end of the day, it I think we approach it as its own discipline. 
Um, you know, you have within the, we'll say within the, the house of, of bike racing, you have mountain bike, cycle cross and track right now. Um, and, and I think e-racing will create its own little niche and within that, within that house. And, and then within that niche, you'll have, you know, Zwift racing and RGT racing and what other, whatever other, um, platforms approach because each, each platform has its own nuances to it. And, and so I think, um, what, what we'll end up seeing and what we've tried to do with the Echelon racing league is expand, not, not just keep our selection for teams participating to professional and elite teams within the road, uh, structure, um, but open it up to those e-racing communities and, and bring in those e-racing teams. You know, there are pro and elite racing teams within that only do virtual racing and we don't want to exclude them. We want to make sure they're in esports is a perfect example, right? We, we want to keep those guys and then those girls, you know, participating. They are the community. They are, where we're going to help grow this sport. And I think at the end of the day, what we're going to end up seeing and Tibco, you know, has, has said this in interviews where, um, in 2024, where they are, they're bringing on riders, um, not only just for their road season, but, they're bringing esports specific riders onto their roster um, who will be e-racers. Yeah. And, you know, uh, going off that, you know, people like, I don't know if you guys are f- familiar with Cameron Jeffers. He is, he, I believe, won the first Zwift World Championship or the first. He was the, the British uh, national champion, I think, in 2019. Yep. Yeah. He actually, uh, off of that, he is now a has quite the establishment in YouTube. He actually, I believe has more subscribers on YouTube than Phil Guyman does. And his entire thing is just e, just e-racing really. Oh, I, yeah. And it, oh, sorry, oh no, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to agree. Absolutely. Like I, I think, you know, you look at it, right? Like the top e-racers in the world. I mean, Holden Kumo, who is the Zwift national champion from 2017. I mean, he only e-races. He's a cat five on the, on the road, right? Like uh, the, the winner of the eSports World Championship is an Olympic rower. He doesn't even race bicycles outside. Um, Yet. So... <laughs> he will. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, what kind of contracts uh, that gentleman gets in the, the but, next year. Yeah. Um, I, I think with e-racing, the, the thing that's been really interesting too, and I think this is kind of where COVID, COVID really has accelerated the growth is I think in the past, um, a lot of roadies would come over or, you know, some mountain bikers, whatever. And they would, they would give it a try. They do one e-race and they'd say, ah, oh, you know, I, I don't really get it. It's not like real racing. But I think, you know, with no races being on the calendar, it's kind of, it's forced people to be like, okay, I'm not going to be doing anything else. You know, let's, let's take some time and actually figure this out. And it's like, yeah, it's its own discipline. It's got its own nuances. It's just completely different. But once you get those nuances, man, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great discipline. And I I think, I think the big thing here, right? Like the big problem, and this is specifically towards, I can't speak towards international, but within domestic bike racing, right? domestic bike racing has a tremendous barrier to entry. You need a multi, you know, you need a thousand dollar bike. You need a license, you need kits, you need, you know, uh, shoes you need to figure out how to get to the races. And, and it's, it's, it's a large barrier to entry. And I know USA cycling and various clubs throughout the country are working on lowering it. 
but at the, at the root of it, right? E-racing is significantly lower uh, barrier of entry. You're not worried about crashing. You don't have to drive to the race. You don't have, you don't need a race license. You, you really, right. You need a smart trainer or a power meter and a bicycle. And so I think what we end up seeing is you see all these athletes out there who have never raced a bicycle before, but just want to be active, uh, lining up for these bike races because they're, you know, they're type A people or they're just, they're competitive souls and, and they want to race, they want to compete. And if not against other people, just themselves in these bike races. And so you get a, a wider arbiter to, uh, of an audience. And so, you know, where, where in a regular cat five bike race, you might have 20 riders show up and an e-race, you might have a hundred show up. And so you just, you know, the, the reach you can get through an e-race versus an in real life race is just exponential. That's a, that's a great point with just the people getting into racing that, you know, most, most often or normally would not be, they would not consider themselves a bike racer. And I think I'm very hopeful for, and I, you know, a series like the Echelon Race League, that's going to be a great help, but just getting more people interested in racing, giving them the ability to kind of jump into a virtual race and see how that is. And hopefully, you know, when, when summer rolls around, uh, hopefully in the near future, we get back to kind of a, a normal bike racing calendar. Um, we're going to see more people fill up those fields in the cat five, the cat four, the cat three fields, because, you know, it's, it's super intimidating to just kind of even roll up to a cat five race, never having raced a bike before, but hopefully some race series like these are going to give people a confidence to at least try it out. Because I think, I think we all know in the last, you know, uh, you know, let's say even decade, the, the field sizes have been getting smaller in a, in a lot of races, especially, especially locally. So mm -hmm. I'm extremely optimistic that, e-racing is going to introduce a whole new field or, or category of people uh, to bike racing in, in general. Would you guys think that's, that's a possibility? Or are we going to see some, some larger in, in real life bike racing I, fields come uh, spring I, and summer? I would hope so. You know, I, I don't like using my girlfriend as the example all the time because I don't think it's representative of the um, she, total. She's picture. not your average. She's not your average Joe. Right. I mean, but just so, just so everybody knows she did a, two and a half hour race and averaged, you know, like 4.3 Watts per kilo. No problem. So she's not, wow. Oh my she, gosh. She's all not right. your average ride. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. But not but at I will all. Say, right, she, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, so I think for bike racing, it's not the fitness side that, that limits the riders. I don't think it's the ability to put out power that limits riders to bike racing. I think what limits riders to bike racing is learning how to, um, learning how to access bike racing you know with with mallory um my girlfriend she races for evoke racing now we did three real life races at the beginning of the season she did phenomenal in them the first two cat five races she won the open women's race she got fifth phenomenal talent right but regardless of that she never would have started if she hadn't if we hadn't met and i wasn't already a bike racer because she had no idea how to get a license she had no idea how to access a calendar. She had no idea what the bike races were, like how to like a criterium from a road race to a time trial. And and so, which ones matter if you want to move up in the sport? Which ones do I need to go? Right. To? Yeah. And and so the the barrier to entry isn't the ability to ride a bike. The the barrier to entry was how do I how, where do I find a bike race and how do I race it? 
how do I get there to line up and pin up, pin up a number and, and compete? And I think by simply, um, I think that's where Echelon Racing League does a great job in partnering with the real life races because we highlight these big races in the country, right? And, and hopefully those cascade down to the other local races. And, you know, we can connect USA Cycling through our partnership in the community races with these real life races and kind of, you know, it, it kind of leads that, it's that, that, you know, breadcrumb trail, right? Of, okay, I can go search tour of the Gila and then search you and see USA Cycling and then go to USA Cycling and, oh, getting started. I'll click on that and figure out how to race a bike. Um, and, and the fact that we're, you know, we're making it accessible to both amateurs and professional racers. We're broadcasting both. We're treating each as equally as, as possible. Um, I think that's encouraging to people as well, right? Like they see, because we do, we value our community. So they see value in the community. Therefore, I want to be a part of it. And what does it mean to be a part of it? How do I get involved? And so they need, that's the first question is they need to ask themselves, well, how do I get involved? Or do I even want to be involved? And uh, our goal is for them to answer yes to that question. Um, and if you don't mind me taking control a little bit here, I want to I want to rewind because I've listened to some of your guys' podcasts in the past where you guys were actually a little bit skeptical about the work that we were doing. And, and really not sure, like, <laughs> do, did we want to be involved and were we headed in the right direction? Um, and so I'm really curious on what your experience and perspectives have been. How those have I was evolved, actually going to bring up. Yeah, how uh, those have evolved and how, we can, and how we can answer those questions for yeah. you too. Yeah. I was actually just going to bring up, uh, I think it was like right when you guys first announced it and we were kind of looking at it. And I think one of the things that I remember saying was because you hadn't announced the amateur series yet. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I said something along the lines of it's going to be really hard to get normal people involved unless they have some kind of stake in it. Yeah. And then, and actually like a few days later is when you guys announced the amateur series, which I think, I think the amateur series is really like a, a gold mine for you guys. Uh, because I think that's where you get the average Joe involved mm -hmm. in, in all this you know uh it, it's kind of the same thing when you go to like you know the tour of america's Dairyland. you, you kind of if you're a cat five you end up hanging out all day until the pro race right mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i and i think uh and ron brings up a good point I, I think that was our possibly main uh main skepticism was you know how how is this going to be you know that popular without those amateur fields but yeah, that's it's. It was actually kind of like funny to see you guys literally the next week. Like, all right, we got an amateur series. And like, <laughs> well, right, and well, there we go. That's and, what we and were asking for. Say, right? <laughs> like, what what Eric and I discuss continually within because so for Echelon recently, it is Eric and I. We are the employees. It is our company. We are it. Um, we we work with Brad Soner and Mark Zalewski, um from Intelligentsia. Uh, to be our production crew along with Damon Bates from ZMS Livestream. Um, and we work with the real life, real life race directors. But like when it comes to like the day to day for the race league, it's the two of us. And, and what we've continually discussed and we continue to put forth is we don't want to do something unless we can do it the correct way and we can put full force into it. And so 
we knew from the get-go when we talked about putting on the pro race series that we wanted to do a pro race series, but that we also wanted to do an amateur amateur race series. And, and it was a, the discussion was, can we do this correctly? Right. We don't want to, we don't want to half-ass it and then end up making the community hate us. Right. Like we don't want to look, we don't want the community to feel like we're just doing this as a, secondary or tertiary objective because oh yeah we should have some community races why not do it we wanted to we wanted the community to understand that we want to do this the right way we want them to know they are partners in in this development and in this effort and that yeah we wouldn't exist without our community yeah and, and i think with the um to the community aspect of it too um, so with, with kind of interacting with the race league, trying it out, um, something that I've noticed that's really cool and, and Ryan, you can speak on this too, but you know, we've done a bit of Zwift racing. That was kind of our first introduction into, uh, e-racing and, you know, the Zwift racing is really cool. Um, but we kind of, uh, we kind of, uh, liken Zwift racing to Mario Kart. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely not quite like real life bike racing. There's power-ups, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of shenanigans that go on. And then moving over to uh, the Echelon Race League and specifically, you know, and you guys can talk a little bit about this too, the RGT cycling mm -hmm. platform. Um, it started to feel a little bit more like a sim, like a sim racer. You know, you're, it's definitely a different experience. Uh, you guys have a lot of really cool support, even for the amateurs, like I mentioned, you know, just checking out like the live streams. Uh, not only is the commentating going on for the, the Cat 1 field and the pro fields, um, but, you know, the commentators also cycling through the Cat 2, the Cat 3, the Cat 4 fields, and just kind of giving the viewers like a play-by-play -play of what's going on across the board, which is uh, really awesome and also uh, pretty challenging. And from what I understand, uh, Frank, you're also the person uh, making some of those comment, uh, the commentary. I am. So, He's the so, guy. Yeah, I've, that's, I've that's been... Right. Um, I've been, I have sacrificed my ability to race in the community races, which to be honest, like after watching this weekend's races, I'm really glad I didn't race them. They look super hard and <laughs> I don't, I have to race them <laughs> this weekend and that's good enough for me. But no, I, you know, it's, I, again, I don't want the community to feel like we're just putting it on to put it on. You know, I, I don't see a cap four going out and doing these races you know, racing the Armed Forces Clarendon Cup or racing Bucks County or racing the Tour of Gila, uh, Gila Monster stage. That was a 72-kilometer stage with 1,200 meters of climbing. They they are putting out just as much effort as Matt Usborne, who is second in the Pro Series and is out there racing. You know, the, it's just as hard for that Cat 4, and it's just as much commitment from them as it is that Pro or that Cat 1 or that Cat 2. Um, and, and so... No, they, I, I feel like they deserve that recognition. They deserve that ability to be, you know, to showcase what they're doing. And, and I'm, I'm stoked to be able to go out there and announce uh, those races. I, I think it's great. And, and, you know, I think when I'm a, I'm a big video gamer, um, Eric, it, Oh, so Eric, are we. <laughs> Eric is not, right? So when I talk... I, I have NES downstairs in the basement. Frank has yeah. <laughs> Frank Frank uh, seen me, that, that's seen me play Super Mario with my kids for like the last month. And I'm pretty but sure he's I, sick of it now. You know, <laughs> the I classics. Just, my Mallory just got me uh, the new Xbox, which I'm very stoked on. And, oh, right? nice. And, uh, oh, nice. I, I look at Zwift and RGT the same way I look at like Call of Duty and PUBG, right? Like... One is very video gamey, very uh, mm -hmm. 
fast twitch, keep the attention of the viewer and the gamer and just short attention span. And the other is very uh, real life simulation. Um, and, and I think Zwift and RGT are very similar to that comparison where one is cartoony video game-ish. You know, it's got power-ups. The drafting physics aren't that realistic. Uh, the speeds aren't that realistic. And then on the other side, you've got virtual braking. You've got collision detection. You've got realistic speeds. You've got, you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I got dropped in the Tour of the Gila Criterium. I'm a crit racer. And I got dropped 15 minutes oh, into oh. that crit. And, and from then, I have completely thrown out my training plan for the next two weeks. And I have been on RGT almost every single day going, I'm learning this platform. <laughs> And, and it, seriously, it gets to the point where I'm 20 minutes into a crit on RGT and trying to learn the nuances of this platform because I want to perfect it because I'm competitive and I want to, I want to throw my computer out the window, but <laughs> oh, yeah, Ryan yeah. and I tried the RGT for the first time uh, this weekend. We did uh, the Saturday and yeah. Sunday races and we got our butts yeah. kicked. Th that was actually like, going to be uh, something I wanted to bring up to you guys because I mean, Swift racing and RGT are very different. Oh, they're not even close. Um, very yes, different. Yesterday's yesterday's I, I, race, I think I made it like three laps, and I got I got I just got disconnected, and I actually like video videotaped it or not or like recorded it, and I was like going back, and I'm like, what happened? Because well, so <laughs> so you know, I'll say working, you know, so being candid with you, when we were doing our spring series. We wanted to keep going. We had races reaching out to us. Hey, can you do a virtual race for us? And, and Eric and I were like, hey, there's something here. We should keep moving with this. And Zwift was slow to respond. And we said, we, we can't wait. We need to move. And um, somebody pointed us to RGT Cycling. And USA Cycling was looking at RGT Cycling. And we were like, hey, let's check this out. And so we met with the, the RGT cycling guys and we, we tried out the platform. Um, for anyone that doesn't know, RGT has two membership levels, basic and premium. Basic is free. You can go in there and whatever courses are available, they rotate them through months. Uh, you can go ride for free. Um, and so we tried it out and we we're like, okay, this is, this is different. This is cool. Let's, let's check it out. They, what, what is this red number? Why am I slowing down through this turn? Why is my guy not pedaling? And and we met with the RGT team, and they're, they are bike racers. They're for the bike racer. They are building a platform. Their, their goal is very simple. It is, we want to be a venue for you to put on a race. That is it. We want to be something that looks like bike racing. And yeah. that rings really true with us. That's, that's what we at Echelon Racing League want to do. We want to put on virtual bike racing. And... And there, there are some, there's some wonkiness to it. I, I can, I think we can be very upfront with that. RGT will be very upfront with that. They do. If you are curious, they did two, the last two weeks, they've done a Facebook live Q and a, you can go back and watch it. They're very open about it. They are always trying to adjust and make it better. They've got a big um, beginning of 21. They're going to have a big upgrade coming out um, where, where they do do some adjustments to their physics. But I think, Again, it's a new platform, and there's there's definitely some nuances to it. I think, in my opinion, with RGT, it's 
it's like riding a mountain bike on a single track versus riding a road race, right? Like in a road race, you can kind of tune out a little bit and you just go with the flow. Whereas racing a mountain bike on single track, you're, you're hyper aware of everything going on. You always, you're mentally drained at the end of that race. And with RGT, it's the same way. You always have to be alert. You always have to look at what everyone else is doing, what your power is. Are you going too hard? Are you going too slow? Are you coasting at the right time? Are you accelerating at the right time? And, and it's, it's a different beast. Yeah. It's funny. We, uh, yeah. you know, we, so we raced today. We had, I think we had six, five or six guys in the, um, pro one, um, race this afternoon at armed forces cycling classic. Um, and of those four of them raced the platform for the first time yesterday. And one of them raced the platform for the first time today. Um, and all of them have raced Zwift at a very high level um, in the past. And so coming into it, I said, guys, like you need to throw everything you think you know about virtual racing out of the window. Like it, it's a totally different game. It's a totally different platform, totally different physics. Um, and you need to treat it as such. And so they did that. And um, the guys that raced yesterday, um, two of them struggled, were a little bit frustrated. Um, and I sent them some videos from Jonathan Crane. If you haven't looked at it, he's kind of an influencer in the virtual racing space and he's got some wonderful explainer videos on RGT. You should check them out. Um, and they learned overnight on what to do better. Two of them picked it up. No problem. Um, they'd finished top 10, both of them. Um, and today we had an, another one, Matt Zimmer. Um, if you follow pro cycling in the U S you know, Matt Zimmer's name, he's uh, been a huge success on the road. And he was dropped lap one, like just not, you know, he couldn't believe it. He's like, what is going on? And so I told him. Yeah, and Zimmer's yeah, an engine. He's got some pretty impressive results. Absolutely. Over the last absolutely. Years. I was like, hey, just drill it. Like peg it for a couple laps, figure it out. And when you get lapped, like try to jump back in. And uh, and he did. And once you, you know, once he got lapped, he got back in the field and just started kind of toying with it. All right, when do I let off? When do I get back on it? And that's so much like real life. You think about it. Man, the first when I was a Cat Five, uh, I I did not like crit racing at all. I didn't understand it. I didn't like. I knew I was one of the stronger guys in the field, but like, what line am I taking and why? Like, should I be hitting the brakes now or not? Uh, should I go to the front or should I sit in the field? Like, those are questions that you had to constantly ask yourself, and that's why you went to race after race after race after race was to perfect that craft. And you can't expect to do it overnight and. That's one of the things that we love about this platform is it keeps you engaged mentally. You have to think. Um, and there's a lot of things that do replicate re real life decisions that you have to make as well. That is one of their goals is to uh, is realism to create a platform that provides realism in the world of bike racing. And so, um, and, you know, ver versus a, a, a 40 minute power test, which is, you know, what we've experienced in the past with some of our Zwift racing, which is fine if that's the type of racing that you want to do, but that's not the type of racing that we're, we're looking to put on. And so when they, when they change that mindset and they're willing to open their minds to think differently about how they think it's supposed to work because they'll have pre preconceived notions. Um, that's when the, that's when the switch flips and, uh, and they start figuring it out a little bit more. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I kind of think of it as like Zwift, 
hand holds your hand a little bit when you're racing. Um, I went back and looked at my video today. I didn't do well today either. Um, but what I did was I looked back just at the video of like, why did I get dropped? And then I actually jumped down to your guys's live stream just to kind of catch the end of that race. Um, kind of what you say, you have to think about everything you're doing. Uh, I went back and watched my avatar at the moment I got dropped. I was actually near the front, um, not, not struggling at all, really. And I, we went around that really sharp corner today, but my avatar was on the outside of the road. Mm -hmm. And so since it was on the outside of the road, it took that the longest path around. You but I, I didn't change. Yeah. yeah, and I didn't change anything, though. And it didn't really process at the time. So I didn't really put in like a bigger effort knowing that I'm taking the longest line. And because of that, I got shelled off the back. Mm -hmm. And then when I'm watching the live stream and I was, you know, watching the guys at the front of the race, it came down. It was actually a really good finish today. It came down to, I think, a group of like six or seven. Yep. And those guys were just on constantly. Every single corner, they're, they're going into it, slightly backing off the watts. And then out of it, they were drilling like 450 watts out of every corner just, just on the gas. And I, I, th I think that's, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. And I, th I think that's kind of the, the main thing here is I, I went into this thinking, you know, just race it like you would race a Zwift race, mm -hmm. but it's, it's more of think really hard about how you race outside and you got to bring that. Well, inside. yeah. And, and you know, there's two, uh, uh, I was going to say, there's two big things that are, that are different. Like one, and you kind of recognize it is position matters in RGT. Um, the way I explain it, and it's way more complicated than this, but this is the most simple way to explain it, is that in Zwift, um, you see where you are relative to the other avatars that are on the screen. Um, but they are essentially ghosts. Um, if a gap starts forming in front of you, all you do is pedal harder, and you can ride immediately through that rider that's in front of you or next to you um, and, and close that gap, Right. And so that's clearly not what you can do in real life. In RGT, it recognizes that there's a placeholder there. So if you're behind somebody and a gap is forming in front of the person that's in front of you, just like in real life, you would need to accelerate, come around them, and then close the gap in order to do that. And the same thing happens here. Likewise, positioning into and out of corners will matter as well. If you notice, hey, I got pushed to the outside line, we all know that's the slowest line and you're going to have to accelerate to not lose spots. You need to, that does need to register with you and you need to respond to it appropriately. Well, but if you come into the corner in the right way, let off at the right time, it'll put you on the inside line um, because you've positioned yourself well to go into it. Well, and, and then the other one is the virtual braking and I'll let you jump in now, Frank, because you're antsy to talk about something and I'm sure it's going to be good. I am. <laughs> I am. Well, no, and it's, you know, I, I've talked with a couple of our racers who have been, um, adamant about learning the platform and, and perfecting it. And, you know, I, I, so what I've been doing this week to kind of get ready for the pro crits next weekend is, I've literally been r creating races using the Magic Road ID for these crit courses with bots. I've been making super strong bots and racing against 10 to 20 bots and just seeing how I can race against them and trying to use them to kind of gauge how to race the course. And the two things I've learned is, one, 
on the Armed Forces Cycling Classic course on a on a one hour crit, um, my normalized power versus average power was a seventy watt difference, which just means I'm jumping a lot. Uh, but also, like not, you know, you said your your avatar was on the outside of the group. You know what I've learned with just in playing with RGT is, and this is something else you have to think about during the race is your your avatar moves through the field to the inside or outside based on your speed relative to the other racers. And so if you're going harder or faster than the other racers, as you go to collide with them, it automatically moves your racer out to the outside. And so what I've learned is if you coast earlier going into the turns, it moves you a little to the inside. And so if you're, I mean, realistically, if you're going a little slower than them, you take the inside line and they take the outside line, which is real life, right? You, the faster you are, the farther out you are through a turn. And so if you go into the turn a little slower than everyone else, you take that inside line. Well, now you've got the best line through the turn. You do a little jump and now you're, you know, you've moved up 10 spots. And so it's, it's taken me, I mean, realistically between racing with bots on, on these courses and, and just beating it into myself. And then, um, Mike Lister, who was in our, our cat one race today puts on a team time trial event on, on, uh, RGT. There's a RGT discord channel. I highly recommend if you race on RGT, check it out. It's super informative. Um, but his TTT, it's a great 20 to 30 minute effort that really keep it. It's a good competition and it scratches that competitive itch, but it also allows you to work with teammates to perfect your drafting and perfect perfect your technique uh within the platform but i mean it they there's so much nuance to it that it's it's a bit overwhelming i i'll admit yeah you guys just talking about some of these nuances are it's kind of blowing my mind because i, I like even the the drafting uh farther away from the corners so that you take the inside line i had not even thought about that going into how to use the platform so I've definitely got some homework. Which is funny because if it, if it were a real race that you're lining up for, you would know that already, right? Like it basically, Absolutely. if it applies in real life, ninety nine percent of the time it applies on the RGT platform. You just don't let your you just don't think like that because that hasn't been your experience to date with virtual racing. So we have to like start with a clean slate. Yeah, one hundred percent. So going forward a little bit, um, I mean, you guys have a really great series set up right now with the Echelon Race League uh, through, I believe, going into March, which is awesome because it just kind of, for most of us, especially in the Midwest, that's right before our road racing season starts. Um, but have you thought ahead a little bit? Like, are, is, there, is there any future plans yet for what's to come with the Echelon Race League? Uh, are we going to continue in the summer? Um, are you able to share anything with that? Sure, yeah. Um, and, and Frank and I both, Frank is, uh, definitely like the visionary he, he's the guy <laughs> that, um, you know, he's thinking three years out right now. And I, and I'm the guy that like finds that balance and says, okay, like, that's good. Let's stay within, let's stay within the year. You know, so, um, we bring two really unique perspectives, but that's why we work well together. Um, in the short term, uh, you know, we were starting to work on some really fun projects. Um, you know, one would be with some of our major Fondo events um, that exist on the calendar or cross-country events, one of which I can say is the Iron Horse um, 
Iron Horse Classic ride, which is in Durango, California, or Colorado. It's one of the largest and longest running Fondo events in the United States. I think they're 48 years old. They typically draw five to 6,000 riders. So working with them, um, not only in a COVID year, but going forward to make their events more accessible to people who have participated in the past or have always wanted to participate, but can't because of travel and things like that. So trying to find those partnerships and um, opportunities is something we're going to pursue. We've also talked about, um, you know, in the, I guess, the virtual off season, um, which is, you know, the, the summer months for us, uh, there's still there's still gaps in racing calendars and there's still really good opportunities to race virtually to get those race efforts in. Like there's just no way you can replicate the anaerobic race efforts that you get on the road anyway else. Right. Um, I think virtual racing doesn't perfectly replicate that, but it does offer some good opportunities to, to hone that craft and build that skill set. So um, we've talked about things like, maybe bringing, you know, resurrecting um, some races that no longer exist. Tour of Georgia, Tour of Baton Kill, um, you know, Coors Classic, Philadelphia Classic. Um, these, these epic courses that everybody wishes they could have or could um, ride today, and, and they just can't because those races aren't around anymore. So trying to bring those to life in, our, in the virtual off-season um, is something. But certainly going forward, um, and I'll let Frank talk about this, I mean, Echelon Racing Promotions and the Echelon Racing League will continue, um, and we have some big plans to scale to scale it up going forward. As well. Yeah, I I don't know how much Eric, I don't know when Eric is going to tell me to shut up and and talking right now. I'll just tell you to I'll just tell you to shut up when when it's <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, we we need so, code words. But I will say right, like the the biggest feedback we've gotten from the pro series and the community series is that. Um, time zones are terrible for everybody, right? It's hard to pick a start time for everyone in the world to race at the same time. Uh, our pro races, we have some of our guys in New Zealand, Australia and Italy and Spain and Britain and, you know, all over. Um, and so sometimes, you know, a Friday night race for us at 7 PM Eastern is at 3 AM for somebody else. And so it's not, always conducive to participation. Um, and that goes for our community races also. I just didn't realize it because I live in the United States that, you know, our community race, our next one coming up for Gateway Cup is on Boxing Day. So a lot of the guys that live in Great Britain probably aren't going to be able to race on the 26th for the first day of Gateway Cup because, um, you know, they'll, they'll be occupied. But so, so one of the things that we kind of want to do for uh, 2021, 2022 season is look at, uh, creating different regions for our races and multiple time slots. Um, so that it's more conducive for racing for everybody. That way we don't have to rely on, uh, you know, someone trying to stay up and race at 11 PM or at 1 AM, um, particularly for the community races, because we want to make those as, as easy and accessible as possible. Um, cause it is a hobby for, for those riders. Uh, quick question too. You know, we've, we've talked a little bit on the podcast about, uh, how different e-racing e series are run. Um, one, the one that we're really a big fan of is the Zwift Pro Tri-Series. Um, and the way that one works is that it's 
the so for men and women it's three like shorter events that are like 15 or 20 minutes long um i could see how that that would be kind of difficult with if you're trying to do it for like a specific race or something but have you guys thought about kind of tinkering in different race formats um yeah li- yeah a, 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 li- a little bit yeah no we have a little bit um no i i think um I think what we've heard from the community is that they, one of the things that's missing in the Zwift space are those longer races. Um, oh, okay. Are, are the hour and 10 minute um, crits or the two hour road races. Um, it's something that there's just not enough of. Um, and they no longer have the Fondo series that they used to do either. And so, you know, we, um, I think we want to try it try and listen to the community and fill the gaps that they feel are there. And that's, and that's kind of one of them. So um, that that's the, you know, we're, we're definitely not opposed to looking at alternative um, race formats. Um, I don't think that'll be the norm though. I think that'll be, that'll be the exception. Sure. Okay. Uh, anything else? Any last thoughts? I know we're hitting, we're hitting about an hour here, so I don't want to yeah. keep you guys too long. No, you're good. Um, no, I, th- I think the biggest thing is like, we've, we'd love for you to come and join us. Um, it's going to be different. And so you need to come with an open mind, uh, come with a competitive mindset and, uh, and a willingness to, to learn. Um, remember like when the, when the tough get, or when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And like, I think that's the mindset you need to have, um, in this space, but, uh, it's going to continue to evolve. We, we believe that it's going to can only continue to, to get bigger. Um, and we would love for you to be a part of that storyline with us. And it's free. The platform, the basic membership is free. Racing in the Echelon Racing Series, the Community League is free. Um, I do want to point out that the Cat 1 and Cat 2 for the men and women who do race in the Community League, um, the top 10 from each of those fields does qualify for an invite into the professional races. Um, so, so we, what we do is for the cat one and cat two, if, uh, the professional guys who are racing in those races, so like the Matt Oosborns and the restart racings and the project echelon guys, um, we pull them out of the results and then the top 10, uh, that remain out of, uh, the amateurs there, I shoot them an email and we give them an invite to race in the professional series and they have to meet the verification. We do weigh in verifications. We do power verifications. We do calibration of power meters and um, uh, smart trainers. Uh, and, and then they, they get to participate in that pro race the following weekend. So, you know, I, I do think, you know, if, as, as the weather's getting colder and daylight is short, you know, if, um, if anyone is, you know, curious in e-racing, again, it's, it's free and, and give it a shot and uh, try to get that invite into the pro race. And for all of our listeners out there too, uh, you can go ahead and make uh, the mistake that Ryan and I made. Do no homework. <laughs> just, uh, send it. Uh, but uh, highly advise. Let's uh, you know. Uh, let's get out there. Do some research. Do some test rides on RGT. Uh, if you show up with a little bit of knowledge in your back pocket, uh, I guarantee you're going to do uh, you know exponentially <laughs> yeah. better than we did. So. Uh, We'll for sure be spending some time on the platform, getting to know it a little bit better and showing up for the next couple of races, hopefully in a better shape and better race. Well, thank thank you guys so much for having us. And uh, thank you for 
for taking interest in it. And um, yeah, we, we look forward to seeing you on the roads again soon. Did you guys want to plug any social media? Yeah, no, we'd love if you'd follow us um, at Echelon Racing League on Instagram. Uh, and then to follow our live feeds to see information about registration for upcoming events, uh, follow at Echelon Racing League on Facebook as well. And YouTube. All right. And YouTube. Thank you. All right. Uh, thank you, Eric and Frank, for being part of this. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you can check us out on all social media, Bike Racing Weekly. Uh, and we will see everyone next week. Yep.